Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is I Need No Name, and today I am joined by Schnitzel. Hey, Schnitzel, how are you doing? Hey, man. Uh, firstly, I would like to wish you a very happy and prosperous Diwali. I Same know to you, that, man. Same to you. Yeah, it is. Uh, for those of you uh, who don't have background context, it is probably the most important festival uh, in India and for Indians around the world. And I guess uh, you, the, the fireworks could interrupt us at any point during the podcast because uh, it is a way of uh, people celebrating the festival and they're usually super loud. So hopefully that doesn't, uh, you know, mar the podcast too much, but uh, in high spirits today. And how do, how do, th- thing, how do things look uh, at your end? It's decent. In West Bengal, Diwali is not as much of a big deal, but still, there are lots of fireworks going on. And well, for Westerners listening to this, is kind of like, I don't know, think about the 4th of July. You know, it's kind of like that. There are fireworks going on all the time. We're going to be kept up all night. And my dog hates it because, well, he doesn't like it in its ears. But I hope it doesn't interrupt our podcast too much because we have a lot to talk about, don't we? So 100%. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to start. Uh, with our most important topic, which I is think before under- we begin, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna add like a quick snippet uh, for just football fans in general. Uh, the city of Copenhagen was absolutely nuts the past few days after beating Man United. Like this is oh, as yes. historic as you're it in gets. Copenhagen. And, I forgot. Yes, and people were celebrating like madmen all over the streets. Uh, there was a lot of beer in every possible public transport. And uh, it was just wild. Everyone was very, very pleased. And I don't think they get as many such uh, incredible European nights here. And coming back from 2-0 down to win the game 4-3 against uh, one of so-called English football's best clubs of all time <clears throat> is, you know, <laughs> as historic as it gets. So everyone is in high spirits in Copenhagen. And yeah, it's, it was just nice to kind of share that piece of information. Yeah, and you Copenhagen must fans must be like buzzing because they have a decent chance of making it to the round of 16 or at least the Europa League. So you might have more European games in your backyard this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the the crazy part about that is they just have to win one of their upcoming two games convincingly. And that secures a progression because I have almost 99.9% certainty. And I hope I don't jinx us that Man United is going to lose to Bayern in the Avi game as well. Yeah, and, that, uh, unless Tuchel you know, does his usual something really thing. Something stupid, yeah. 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 Like but, against Saarbrücken, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but nice. let's talk about the topics that we have in store. And I chose a very inflammatory topic to begin with, as I tend to do, which is, yeah, is Harry Kane better than Robert Lewandowski? Now, if you ask a Tottenham fan, they would say yes. Where have you been all these years? But we're not Tottenham fans. We don't even watch TVL all that much. Like I do sometimes more than I watch La Liga or Serie A. But I've always known that Harry Kane is a world-class player. He is good on both ends of the ball, as in he's good at finishing and he's good at setting up other players. And obviously, he the price we paid for him at the time, it seemed justified. But right now, given what we are seeing from him every single game, I, I genuinely, like, he's on pace for over 50 goals this season in the Bundesliga alone. He has, I think it's 17 goals already in the Bundesliga. And he is second top scorer in the Champions League just after Hoyland somehow with four goals. And the only reason I can argue that 
we went out against Sarbroken is that he did not play a single minute because if he had played, we probably would have gone through. And this is kind of like another Tottenhamism because Tottenham regularly had seasons where they would get knocked out of the cup competition because Harry Kane was benched. So we are already quite reliant on him and his goals. And the basic question is, is he already better than Robert Lewandowski ever was for Bayern Munich? Or does he have to show more than that? Um, Ever was? Hmm. Let's start with ever was. Uh, uh, This is probably, okay, two things. First, I'm not sure that this is the best possible hurricane yet. I think there's even more to come. And I think if you give him a little more time to gel with the rest of the players and to sort of drift, drift between the lines and become more fluid with the attack, his creation could become even better. Like he could bring more players into the game and he could influence and impact the midfield and the attack a lot more in the coming weeks. But also, we have to really see how the rest of the season plays out because great players are not just defined by their ability to score goals or impact games. They're also defined by their ability to, you know, take their teams to success. So it will also be heavily dictated by how successful this season is for Bayern Munich and whether Kane has had a huge impact on that. And we are still early in the season and he's doing incredibly well to justify that. And he has 17 goals in just 11 games in the Bundesliga, which is mind-numbing. And overall, I think his record is 19 and 15, which is really good, uh, considering that he also, I believe, has seven assists. And those are top-notch numbers. But Lewandowski, I just think that his peak at Bayern was quite literally the world's best player. And he was, in my opinion, the world's best player for two to three seasons. And that is a peak that I have seldom seen a striker achieve in world football. I think peak Suarez was there. But other than that, I have never seen a player with such a long peak and just being at the top of the game during Ronaldo and Messi's era. So I would say Kane is probably not there yet as better than Lewandowski all time. But maybe if you're talking about how how he started the season specifically, I would say Lewandowski at the beginning when he joined Bayern, he was nowhere close to the level that Kane is producing right now. But obviously there were also other factors that influenced that. Yeah, I have to agree. And if you look at it in comparison, because that is a good point that Lewandowski was nowhere near. When Robert Lewandowski first joined Bayern, I think that was Pep Guardiola's second season in charge. That's right, and yes. Yeah, and back then he came on a free, but he was a very hyped transfer. And there was some controversy because Pep immediately put him in, in place of Mario Mandzukic, who had won us the treble, including scoring in Wembley in the final. So that was a, he was a much-loved figure at the club at the time. So Pep put him in, and Lewandowski was, in many games, often frustrated, often not scoring as much as he should have or as he would come to do in subsequent seasons. But at the time, people said that Lewandowski was a little bit disappointing given the amount of fanfare that was announced when he first took on a Bayern shirt. Now, in comparison, you look at Harry Kane, he seems to have settled in quite well if you look at it from a distance. But since we watch every single game, I agree that he can still go up a level because there is still a little bit of chemistry missing between him and the rest of the players, especially the fact that most of the players don't seem to be very interested, even now, in passing to him. Most of his assists 
come from Leroy Sané. Like most of his goals come from Leroy Sané assists. It feels like Sané is the only person who is on the right wavelength with Lewandowski. And it's almost, sorry, why did it say Lewandowski? Harry Kane. You can see how things are getting mixed up in my head already. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you can see that there, if he got that level of chemistry with any other player on the team, say, for example, Thomas Muller and Jamal Muziala, then there is no reason why he couldn't score maybe two, even three goals per game going forward, which sounds absurd. But like players like Messi or Ronaldo have sustained that throughout an entire season almost. So there is no reason he couldn't do that the way he is playing right now. Now, it depends on many factors. It depends on the players around him. It depends on the tactics decided by Thomas Tuchel. It depends on lineups and obviously depends on the quality of our opponents. I'm going to ask something different then. Since we asked about, since I asked my first question was about whether Kane is better than Lewandowski ever was, let's leave out the peak of Lewandowski's career. Let's say that if you take Lewandowski's career as an average, do you think that Kane has surpassed that yet? I Lewandowski's career-wise, I do not think so. No, I think interesting. Why would you say that? Because I... most he he is already on fifteen goals, and Lewandowski used to other than his forty-one goal season and the earlier one, which was I think thirty-four or thirty-five. Other than that, he used to top out at around 30 goals in the Bundesliga every season. And Kane just got here and he's already looking like he's going to smash that, at least smash the 35 goal barrier, if not the 40 yeah. goal barrier. So why would you say that? So about that, I, I just think that firstly, saying just the Bundesliga average is uh, is highly skewed and also quite unfair to Lewandowski because this is Kane's first season and it isn't even over yet. So we have no idea how the Rook Runder will play out how Bayern's success in the Champions League, uh, you know, would look like. And also, I don't think that one season in the Bundesliga is going to define a whole career that Lewandowski has had in the Bundesliga. I believe that Lewandowski's impact for Bayern as a club and just the way Bayern dominated, not just Germany, but also Europe when Lewandowski was around, was something extremely special. And the man did play an instrumental role in us winning the sex tuple. So Lewandowski, uh, sure. I mean, I don't think he had a start like Harry Kane has to this season ever, if I remember correctly. Like 17 goals in 11 games, maybe the no record break. No one season. has ever had it. Even yeah, but no one, no, nobody has ever had the start in Bundesliga history. And Kane is just producing goals and assists for fun. He is doing it with such ease and with such finesse. And I think we also have to consider that if you take into account his time at Tottenham, Tottenham is a club, with all due respect, that is miles below Bayern in any quality, like anywhere on the pitch. It doesn't matter. Any player that Bayern has in the starting eleven can walk directly into Tottenham's lineup, without a doubt. And Kane produced goals at a high level in Tottenham, despite the deficiencies and also the bottler mentality, because they always bottle and they have gotten used to it. It's almost like the club knows that they are not winning trophies anytime soon, and they never will. And Kane, despite all of those problems, all of those struggles, stuck there and produced almost everything worth producing. So if you compare the quality of the clubs, maybe you do have an argument that if Lewandowski was playing in Tottenham, I'm not sure if he would have been as successful. But then again, I feel that it's also a question of 
Yeah. Well, Lewandowski, he did play at another infamous bottling club, which is Borussia Dortmund, and he did quite win quite a lot with them, including getting <laughs> to a Champions League final. So he lost the Champions League final, but so did Kane. So um, I, I think you that can is, say that there's a toss-up, or at least... That is a fair argument, yeah. But uh, yeah. Lewandowski also managed to win the Bundesliga twice, I guess, yes, uh, during his time at Dortmund. So And as soon as he argument. left... Yeah. Uh, Dortmund almost they they were in the relegation spots in the hinrunda of that year. Remember that was yes. an infamously bad season. Klopp's last season. Huge and yes, I think well, we also have to take into account that the players also impact different systems. Harry yeah. Kane, in my opinion, is not a curated striker for a pressing system. I think Lewandowski is the perfect pressing striker. He is so good at pressing at you know, playing with his back towards goal and just at relentlessly engaging in that high-intensity press that Thomas Miller is also so good at doing, which is why I think they functioned so well together and they were so in sync throughout. And Harry Kane is slightly different. He is more of a, I guess, a striker that threads the attacks together, but not as much of a presser, in my opinion. So also dictated by the system. And Lewandowski, when he was at Dortmund, he was under Jurgen Klopp which is death metal pressing. And he fit perfectly. And at Bayern, didn't have to make as big of a transition because aside from Pep Guardiola, who focused more on retaining the ball, and I would argue that it was also kind of a press under Guardiola, but maybe not as intense. But with the other coaches, like Jupp Heynckes and Hansi Flick, uh, Niko Kovac to an extent, there was a very high intense press. So I would say the system also mattered a lot. If you're Talking about the strikers overall, uh, it's hard to say. But for me, Lewandowski still is up front simply because of how much success he's enjoyed at two different clubs. Kane just mm-hmm. doesn't have trophies. It matters a lot, despite him being in a club that has no way of winning trophies. That's fair. And I guess this is the final question about the Kane versus Lewandowski debate. It is often said that Kane is a more complete striker than Lewandowski. So are you going to agree with that, that the idea that he makes assists, therefore he is a much more complete player? Or do you think that Lewandowski had something to his game that can compete with that aspect of Kane's football? I think only people who haven't watched Bayern when Lewandowski was here uh, could say that Lewandowski is not a complete striker. He's not a striker who is also good at playmaking. Because he was good at playmaking. He was amazing at creating space for other players. And he was excellent at bringing other players into play. And one thing I think everyone has to understand is that Kane is great at assists, sure. But Lewandowski had lower assist numbers because more often than not, he was the instigator of a hockey assist. He would run back to the center of midfield, carry the ball upwards, which we have seen countless times, drift wide when required, and try and get the ball moving when the midfield or the attack would be static. And Kane, I haven't seen a lot of that wing side drifting from him. He does drop back when things get boring, but otherwise I haven't seen as much movement from Kane as I have from Lewandowski. Lewandowski was just relentless. He was on the wings. He dropped back in midfield. He helped with the build-up, with progression. Kane does everything right in the attacking third. He threads the attack together, like I've told you. But overall, in terms of work output and in terms of the impact on the game, I don't think it's as clear-cut as Kane just being better than Lewandowski. Because sure, he assists, but Lewandowski created so much from other areas. He helped with build-up, 
with carrying the ball up the wings, which I think was super underrated, especially during the treble years. So I do not agree that Kane is more complete than Lewandowski, but I do think that Kane is the more complete attacker, like the attacking player, because assists and goals are what matter on the stat sheet at the end of the day, and Kane is better as an attacker than Lewandowski. I think that's fair. I think the thing that really set Lewandowski apart in those years is how good he was unsettling an opposition defense and the way he would always be able to really fight with defenders for space inside the box. We don't really see Kane doing that as of yet. He doesn't have that same physical presence that Robert Lewandowski had. And as you mentioned, his positioning also sometimes leaves a little bit to be desired in the sense that he sometimes drops deeper or moves wider when he's not supposed to. But I think that's still a product of him not quite being on the same page as his teammates and possibly his coach not exactly knowing, still getting used to how he should use Harry Kane. In spite of all that, he is scoring at a rate that Lewandowski never achieved at Bayern Munich, so it's kind of scary to think what he could do. And in that context, I'm going to ask you, what would it take? What would Kane need to achieve this season for you to say that he has surpassed Robert Lewandowski? Because I think it is possible for him to surpass Lewandowski's legacy in a season if he wins the Champions League with us and he wins the Toriager Kanuna while beating Lewandowski's record. If he does those two things, I think he surpasses Lewandowski's legacy in one go. Uh, legacy as an entire Bundesliga entire. legacy Full. at Bayern? Whole thing. Like at if Bayern, he does it, entire if he, legacy? Entire thing, entire thing. That is impossible. Why? That is crazy. How, how can you why? even say that? Why, why he would, if he does that, if he beats the so-called unbeatable record, and then he also wins us the Champions League, I would but say that it's all, all it's, that's all it takes. Because you're that, ignoring... All the, all the, I mean, the, the massive role that Lewandowski played in Bayern's dominance throughout the years. You're ignoring everything, and you're just, I mean, that is outrageous. Yes. I don't think why in one season any striker, even if it's like God, <laughs> can surpass in one season everything that Lewandowski has done for Bayern over like seven, eight seasons. He has been the focal point of the attack for so long, and as much as most Bayern fans don't like to admit. I know that the Bundesliga hasn't been a big challenge in previous years, but it is still a trophy, and it is the most important one in Germany. And Bayern has won it continuously uh, for a very long time, in large part due to Lewandowski's goal contribution. If you remove them, they're as good as fifth or sixth position. We've seen that he contributes almost well, 40% of Bayern's goal production, especially in his peak years at in the Bundesliga. He was everything to the club. And... Just an injury to him could derail an entire season, as we've seen in some cases, like the game against PSG where he got knocked out uh, despite us being uh, tied on aggregate. We could have won that clearly with uh, Hansi well, Flick if Lewandowski was fit, for instance. The way so, I see it, I don't see yeah. it as every single season that Lewandowski played for us as a cumulative leading, building up to his legacy. Instead, I would think about how Lewandowski performed for us versus how a potentially average striker would have performed for us in the same time period and compare that to how Harry Kane is performing versus how an average striker would do this season for us. So therefore, I would say that, well, if Harry Kane were to get 41 plus goals in the Bundesliga and also help us win the Champions League, he would surpass Lewandowski because Bayern Munich, no average striker can do that at Bayern Munich. Whereas the 
10 or so consecutive titles that Lewandowski helped us win. I think it was nine consecutive or something. Was it nine or 10? I can't exactly remember. 10, I think, or nine. How many did he win us? Whatever, whatever. No point yeah, in doing yeah. the calculation right now. That's okay. But yeah. the consecutive titles that he helped us win, we would have won most of them or almost all of them if we had a, stri- a different striker. Say, for example, someone like someone on the level of current Chupomoting in the lineup. We wouldn't have had the same insane highs and we probably wouldn't have reached the level that we reached in Europe, in the Champions League, and our goals numbers would have definitely dropped. We would not be as dominant as we are today. But otherwise, we saw last season that Bayern Munich can still function at a very high level without Robert Lewandowski. So that is partially my argument for saying that if Kane does get us over the hump. He helps us get to the pinnacle of Europe again from this starting point. I would say that he, and also breaks Lewandowski's record. That's also important. If he does those two things in his debut season, he surpasses the legacy. I think I'll I'll rephrase it for you because I still disagree. I wouldn't use the word legacy anymore. Let's just avoid using the word legacy because why? The, it's, it's, I don't know. It just word. feels so wrong. Like because why? legacy, you cannot it's, it's ignore many. the contributions over eight, like seven, eight seasons. When you mention I, legacy, I, I don't have to ignore them, but I can say that, like, you know, uh, people always ask me if if you're a Bayern Munich fan, you always win the title. So which title do you really want? And I would say the Champions League, right? So imagine if we did a Real Madrid, and you know we would sacrifice a few, this is a hypothetical idea, but if we sacrifice a few league titles and win a few more Champions Leagues in the last 10 years, wouldn't wouldn't you give, what wouldn't you give for that? You would definitely say that you would sacrifice it. And now I understand that the insane league title streak we have right now is in itself an insane achievement. And Robert Lewandowski was a part of that insane dominance. But there's more to it than this. There's There's more that we can achieve. And if Kane helps us get to that level, then yeah, he's, he's better. What, what you're saying sounds like, uh, if you, if, if Jude Bellingham wins mm-hmm. the treble with Real Madrid this season, yeah. and he also ends up being like a top scorer or something, yeah. or top assist provider for Real Madrid, yeah. then, uh, he is, his, his legacy surpasses that of Tony Cruz. That's what it sounds like. No, because Tony and... Cruz has like four or five Champions League titles. Yeah, and Lewandowski has, has won, won so many Bundesliga titles, and Kane has none, no titles whatsoever outside the Champions League. You see what I'm? No, he I'm doesn't have. No, no, no. The point is that the relative value of a Champions League title compared to like everything else, because if you no, think but, about uh, it, but Real Madrid constantly sacrifices La Liga for the Champions yeah. League. We have seen yeah, that. They do. Yeah, but it it doesn't necessarily mean that La Liga is not any less important, right? No, just but for Bayern Munich, yeah, that's why for Bayern Munich it is Champions League is much more important than the Bundesliga. We're very different think, from Real Madrid. For most teams are not Real Madrid after all. Hmm. I again, I'm not sure. I agree because all the fans in Germany, the fan base, and all the official club fans of Bayern Munich would think, and even the the club management of Bayern Munich believes that Bundesliga is the top. They priority. do believe they that, keep but that at every instant, yeah. They so do say the that. They have to that. say that. But the thing is that we all know in our heart of hearts, we want the Champions League. We want it. We want it. We want. We are not. We don't just want it. We are obsessed with it. Everything yeah, you don't buy, you do not buy a player like Harry Kane for a hundred million plus euros to win the Bundesliga again. You know, 
You you we buy him to win the, the Champions, Champions League. League. We are obsessed with the Champions League because Bayern has been so good, so dominant. And if Bayern did not enjoy as much success as it did in the Bundesliga in previous years, if it was more like a Dortmund-like club, the Bundesliga would be the number one priority, and we wouldn't even be thinking about the Champions League, right? It's just yeah, but that's a hypothetical. We, we are. I, I feel here. like we have been spoiled almost. But we are here. League we are at the top, and we just want to go even higher. So that's the kind of the point. You don't look down when you're at the top. You keep looking higher, right? I just, Never I look just back, don't right? think. Okay, okay. I, I guess, I guess we're going around in circles. I just don't think yeah. that the Bundesliga should be devalued as much as you think that winning one Champions League. Well, I would. I, well, I'm not necessarily players. devaluing the Bundesliga because when I say that Kane would need to also outscore Lewandowski in the Bundesliga for him to surpass the legacy, it won't just matter if he only wins as the Champions League, right? He would also need but to break Lewandowski's title. historic record. It's one title compared to eight. Bundesliga titles. The Lewandowski That's just a matter of time, really. If he can win this one title, then he can win all of them. Like, theoretically. But, because but that is the it's thing, not like, like it's the only... that At that point, you can only say that Kane was uh, an idiot for never leaving Tottenham sooner. Right. Yeah, but that is the thing, right? I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> other, lot of other things that come into factor. Like, Lewandowski's longevity and how he took care of his health. Does Kane do the same thing? Does he focus as much on his nutrition? Is he capable of keeping his body fit till maybe the age of 25 or 36? I think the main thing that your argument boils down to is that you want to see a sustained period of success. whereas Whereas I am focused on the absolute heights, the peaks of the game, right? Okay, okay. For, for, okay, let's just focus on the peak, right? Lewandowski's yeah. best ever season. Let's mm. compare it to Harry Kane this season if he has to surpass Lewandowski's peak. Lewandowski, on his peak, was the world's best player, undisputed. Yep. He was untouchable. He was at the top. And nobody, including Messi, had an argument, could hold a candlelight to his achievements. He won the sextuple. He won everything there is to win in world football. And he was the world's most incredible player. Harry Kane has already, you know, bottled, I guess it's not him, it's Tuchel, but still it sucks because he cannot win the DFB Pokal because it's out of he's well, he already didn't, he didn't even play two So wouldn't it wouldn't it still count if, say for example, he won the Champions League and the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. beat Lewandowski's record and maybe won the Euros? Wouldn't that count for something like a Ballon d'Or? The Euros? Yeah. Mm-hmm. England. He's playing yeah, in Germany we're talking now. About the he club, would be used right? to it. We're not talking about I'm talking about I'm talking about his legacy with the club, but also if he wins a Ballon d'Or with Bayern Munich, which Lewandowski tragically did not manage to do. That will also be no, but, another another feather no, in his cap compared say, to it. Let's talk about FIFA's best player because that's what Lewandowski won twice. And the or it doesn't... We know for years I, has I, I, been I think a good theor- indicator of a player's... Theoretically, like, theoretically. It's a useless think... trophy, in all honesty. It's, it's a shiny piece of scrap. Everyone who has won it has an argument for not winning it, including Messi. I don't think he deserved to win it this year. I thought it was Haaland's year. He still won it. Um, they keep well, giving it to him. Do you think he deserved it in 2021 over Lewandowski? The year no, when he broke Gerd Muller's historic record? Obviously not. And, I'm, I'm a Bayern Munich fan. But I think that but Harry Kane matter, has the right? PR yeah. that he could win. And there is a certain degree of... It's a little bit unfair to mention this, but there is a certain degree of PR involved in the Ballon d'Or that Kane has and Lewandowski never did. So... That factors in to what people remember about, you know. <laughs> I know. That's and, not, no, 
I, I don't believe this. Ballon d'Or should not be taken into consideration at all, in my opinion. Like, let's just avoid individual trophies. So that you think that? So like you think that Harry Kane would have to either maintain a like a massive streak of goal scoring and titles with Bayern Munich to equal Robert Lewandowski? So you don't okay, think that there this. is you don't think that there is a peak that he can achieve this season for him to surpass Lewandowski in one goal. It's it's sad that the DFB Pokal is already lost because if it was still in contention, that would be a genuine possibility if he won all three trophies and also managed to set the goal record. Because I believe Kane can break the single season record, but we also have to take into consideration that Lewandowski did it in 29 games along with his injuries, and maybe Kane doesn't get injured. Fingers crossed, and maybe he uh, keeps going at this even pace. so. Even if you look at it in twenty nine games, Kane's uh, per ninety statistics in terms of goals is actually higher than Lewandowski's that year. So I agree. It is. It I is. Agree. It is but very. Then, yeah. It is looking it's, very. It's interesting. still early in the season. It's just eleven games. He has to do this for thirty four games. He has to do this okay. for the rest so, of the season. I guess we so, come back to this later. For for now, you are very okay, much. Let me say the, this to satisfy you. To satisfy you. If he manages to obliterate Lewandowski's single-season goal tally and break the record, and manages to win both the Bundesliga and the Champions League this season, and further trophies like the Club World Cup and everything else that follows, like the Super Cup and everything, and maybe the DFL Super Cup of next season with the contender, whoever that is from Germany, I would say that he could be considered on par with Lewandowski's peak season. The DFB Pokal, okay. I believe it was Tuchel's fault and not Kane's. So I'll give that to you. I think Bayern would have won if Kane had played. And that was a brain-dead decision. He did not choose to sub him in until the very end, which was... He did not really play, stupid. actually. He didn't play a minute. Oh, yeah. he he. he that's even worse. Yeah, he didn't even get to play the game at all, which is really, really stupid. I think if you're trailing or if, you're, if, if the game is on the balance and if you haven't scored... You should have subbed him in quite sooner. But Tuchel didn't do that, so I'm not going to take that away from Kane. I'm just going to say he will be on par with Lewandowski's best season if he manages to achieve all of this. I'll give that to you. As far as I'm concerned, well, if he does those things, he is beyond Lewandowski's best season and in the wow. in the echelons of the absolute greats. Because he comes in, if you come in and you perform like a superstar, you deserve it. You deserve all the accolades that come your way. Because Bayern Munich is not an easy club to perform at. And... If you live up to our expectations, that means you're one of the best in the world. That is as simple as it gets. Not even one of the so, best players in the world. So is is Holland's single season achievements from last season better than any striker in Premier League history? Yes. He surpassed every striker in Premier League yeah, history yeah. just because of that one season? Yeah, he's he's amazing. Holland is a okay, machine. He's incredible. Enough. He's absurd. Okay. Haaland, Haaland I, scares me every time he steps on the football pitch. Man, you are not no, giving that, me that, that anti propaganda. We're talking I... about player peaks and legacies, right? So you're just yeah. saying he surpassed Holland every is, other striker. Holland is, Holland is monstrous. Holland is like the guy was scoring hat-tricks and then Pep stopped him off. That was absurd. Yeah, but it's Manchester City. So? It's Bayern Munich. People say that about us too. I can say about yeah. I, I know that Manchester City cheats and etc 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 but that doesn't take anything away from what Haaland does on the pitch. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I mean I, I yeah, understand. So your basically now. basically you are so, you're in the you're in the camp that legacies have to be built. And I'm in the camp that legacies can be created and destroyed in a day. Yeah, yeah, precisely. I think that okay. sums it up well. 
that's yeah. upside down. We could probably okay, so, move on to the yeah, next Yeah, let's move topic, on to our next topic as soon as this, because our meeting is about to end and we'll move on to our next meeting. So please stay tuned. We are going to talk about Thomas Tuchel up next, which is going to be very interesting. Thomas Tuchel versus Julian Nagelsmann. So we are back and we are going to move on to our second major topic for today, which is, well, I, and I came up with this one, which is what does tu- Thomas Tuchel do better than Julian Nagelsmann? And it's an interesting topic in this case, because one of the most pro Nagelsmann guys on our website was Schnitzel himself. And he is going to be here to argue against me as I make these points. Schnitzel, are you ready? As ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to first mention the first big one, which is the fact that Thomas Tuchel, his handling of the youth, it is leagues better than whatever Nagelsmann was doing. Look at what he's done with Matthew Tell so far. Tell consistently gets 20 to 30 minutes in pretty much every single game. He comes on and he's allowed to play his game. He's allowed to score, constantly gets backing from the coach to do this. And now we have further evidence that Tuchel is ready to back players by the fact that 19-year-old Pavlovich, he was allowed to start against Heidenheim, against Bundesliga-level opposition, and he did quite well. He played for, I think it was around 70 or 80 minutes, and after he was subbed, Tuchel did praise him in the press conference afterwards. This is the kind of thing that we did not see under Nagelsmann, did not see enough of, and really, really honestly barely saw at all. It's kind of interesting to me that Tuchel is the one doing this because Nagelsmann, when he came in, the entire narrative was that he would be the guy to help us develop our young talent. He would be the guy to help get these guys on track into the squad and integrated and into players that we can use in the future. He never did that. He was constantly tinkering. But when he tinkered, he tinkered with his first 11 players. He never gave a chance to these youngsters. Tuchel, on the other hand, maybe it's because of the relatively thin squad that he may have been given. He has been using these young talents and he has been making it clear that they have a pathway into the side. I think that's a massive, massive improvement over Nagelsmann. What do you say to that, to Schnitzel? I, I almost called you, oh my God. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, if you're going point by point and if the first yes. point is just youth development, yes. then perhaps in the first few weeks Tuchel has shown a propensity to play more youth players yes but again it could be because his hand was forced because last season I didn't really see much of that especially well, last the... season I would argue that he played Ryan Gravenberch far more than Nagelsmann did so he was um... already showing signs of that last season now the counterpoint to this which I'm surprised you didn't mention is the fact that he sent Janice John Lone so I think partially yeah based... I think that was a Terrible decision, and I think Tuchel yeah. was a part of that process, decision-making process. But me too. But on conversely, while think... Nagelsmann, okay, Nagelsmann yeah. also did not use Stanisic all that much before Matrawi I mean, and Pavard got injured. Stanisic was nowhere to be seen. No, but that's the thing, right? So just when he was using Stanisic, and he, I mean, he put him on the biggest of stages against PSG and Stanisic delivered. Just when things were starting to click, he got fired. So there's no way of knowing how the rest of the season would have panned out. And Tuchel, as much as I'd like to say that he is focused on youth development, I don't think that's completely the case. Because aside from Matthew Tell, who I 100% believe Nagelsmann would have also given chances to had he, you know, 
showed him the exact same sk- skill and quality that he has been showing Tuchel. It's quite hard to not give him uh, but frequent, he did. Uh, he did do appearances. that. He did do yeah, that, and there and, were and there were periods last season where we did not even play with Chupomoting. Like Chupomoting was not even fit, and Matty Tell could not get a single minute of game time. Compare that to this season where we have Chupo and Kane. And despite that, Matty Tell is getting regular minutes and not just at the striker position. He's often getting them on the left wing, which Nagelsmann did not do. He was terrified but, of ever putting Matty Tell on the pitch. No, no. But we don't know if there was a change in the way Matty Tell is performing in training sessions because that factors a lot into you know the coaches and their decision-making. Well, and if, you, can also if argue you base that, that on... You can argue that Tuchel is able to play one extra player all the time in attack because Thomas Müller is eternally benched. Under Nagelsmann, especially in the second half of the season, Thomas Müller's importance was growing, and we could see it. We could see that he understood playing Muziala and Thomas Müller was the way to go, and he did play that combination. To be perfectly honest, even Tuchel can come to that realization eventually. My point is that, and besides Thomas Müller. As much as we like him, he does not count as a youth player. He counts as an academy player, as in he came from our academy, but he doesn't count as a youth player anymore. He is 34. That was but not the point I was trying to... My, point, my I... point is my point is that Tuko, for all his faults, he has been encouraging these youngsters to go out there and give him the, some performances. Look at the way he handled Pavlovich's debut. He first gave him good, solid outing, in a game against Borussia Dortmund, where we were winning very comfortably. That is very important. Why did he do that? Because Joshua Kimmich was suspended and he knew that in the next game against Heidenheim, he would possibly have to start Pavlovich. Therefore, he gave Pavlovich those 30 minutes to get him ready because he would have been expecting a start against Heidenheim. This is the kind of forward-thinking management of players that we did not see under Nagelsmann. Tuko is showing that sort of sensitivity and the sort of, how should I just say it? How, he's showing the level of management that you expected from Nagelsmann last season. He's showing that he can bring players into the team when he needs them to. You can say that he never would have gotten a chance if Yozua Kimmich had not gotten the red card. And I probably agree. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. But the fact is that when Joshua Kimmich did get the red card and when that spot opened up for Pavlovich, Tuchel did not hesitate to put him in. He did take his time with it. He did not throw him off the deep end by starting him against Dortmund, but he did take the right decision by giving him minutes to come in against Dortmund and then giving him a proper game against Heidenheim. That's the correct way to do it. And this is the kind of thing that was missing under Nagelsmann. When Chupomotin got injured, for example, or when Sadio Mane was injured early in the uh, first half of the last season, Matty Tell never did come in. And this is not, despite the fact that Tell had already proven that he could score lots of goals in the system and even against Bundesliga-level opposition. Because I remember he started, the one time he started last season against Stuttgart, he did score. So in comparison to that, and I am no Tuchel fan, people know this, I do not make excuses for him. But in this specific case, he is showing, well, he's showing sensible coaching and they cannot do anything but praise him for that. Mm. So, so with regards to the Pavlovich situation, I also mm. think a huge factor that we are ignoring is that the midfield has not been good. Oh, And he simply, okay, let me put it this way. 
if Tuchel had gotten his wish list and Joao Palinha had joined Bayern, there is no way that Pavlovich starts. But that's Absolutely not my no point. Way. My point is no, that... No, no. What I'm saying is circumstances play a major role in how a my, coach makes... Well, my point decisions. is that so, in similar circumstances to what Tuchel has now, Nagelsmann did not play his youth players. Whereas Tuchel he never has had decided, a situation like did. this in midfield because he knew not how to play midfield, in midfield. But in other positions. But we spoke about Pavlovich for so long. I think yeah, then we, we have to remove I'm that giving Pavlovich as an example. As an yeah, example I mean, of the way Tuchel has handled his players. I would argue he has given minutes to... Hansi Flick. I would argue that Hansi Flick did not do very well with the load, ma- load management of Davies and Muziela. And uh, Nagelsmann did right? excellently. In that on that regard. What did what did now what did Hansi and first of all why in the are we second season Hansi Davies had this? Davies had a major dip in the second season and because I'm just got saying that Nagelsmann, they are youth players as well. Muziala was very young when Nagelsmann was coach and he still is and so was Davies and Muziala and Davies were completely established under Hansi Flick already. He, Nagelsmann does not get no. to take no. does not get to with take Muziala, credit for that. I wouldn't say that. Absolutely I wouldn't say not. that with Muziala. I would say that with Davies, but not with Muziala. Muziala had a slump and he was brought back into the groove, in my opinion, by Nagelsmann. He balanced the minutes out, did not pressure him too much. And Muziala's slump was under Nagelsmann. Day. He did not come back. His, his slump was after the World Cup, remember? That was only because everyone slumped after the World Cup. Till then, not everyone even. was performing so well. Everyone was doing no, not, not everyone. Not everyone slumped after and, the World Cup. Muziala and specifically did. Muziala and Sane. Most of the team did. And you could also argue Thomas Miller because he had an injury and then he came back rusty. And He came the, back the and he was, our highest, he was our highest goals and assist maker after the World Cup. I even did an article of, on this. For 90 minutes, he was our highest. And despite that, Nagelsmann refused to start him. I did. You can't, you can't revise history on this. I, I was covering this at the time. I was talking about how Nagelsmann was not doing the right things when it comes to his lineup selections. No, I, I agree that Thomas Müller did have a major role in Bayern's success in the Hinrunde, uh, sorry, in the Rukrunde after the World Cup. I'm just saying the entire team slumped compared to how they and were producing was, in the Rukrunde. Sorry, in the it was mostly thanks to mostly thanks to Nagelsmann himself, which is why he got fired. And uh, now you think Tuchel is doing so much better? I think he Tuchel is no. I I'm talking about I'm with, talking about the specific topic, which is youth. Just the youth players. Uh, just, just the youth players. players. I would say that... Honestly, for Matty Tell, I could give it to you, but not for Pavlovich. But solely on Matty Tell, you probably win that argument because Nagelsmann, I Which agree... Which is one player more than Nagelsmann ever developed. Yeah, probably. But... Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I suppose I'll give that to you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. See? And it's more damning for me, for Nagelsmann, this, but... because Nagelsmann was specifically brought in to develop you and didn't do that. He was having a good connection in the first season, and then I don't know no, what happened wasn't. specifically no, in the wasn't. second season. I also think what? his hand was forced because he was because dealing he kept, with he, a lot he of kept, egos, as you already he know, kept and he was young. Up, he kept messing up every week, and that's why he had to keep playing his first eleven, and he couldn't rest any of his starters because he kept getting into... messing up every week is a massive overstatement. I think it's not a massive least, overstatement. I mean, it literally I mean, we be, had like be honest, weeks and weeks honest, of draws on the Nagelsmann. To be honest, at least last season, he was still on track to win every single trophy. He was behind Borussia Dortmund. In by he, now, he was behind Borussia Dortmund. He would have... He's, being knocked out in the second round of the Pokal is the, nothing new. It happened to Flick. It happened to Nagelsmann as well. Yeah, so. the coach Yeah, the coach that you're praising so much is the reason why last season was such a disaster. 
Uh, that was the sole reason. Talisman was also part changed. of it. Talisman did coach last season, as I as he I recall. Coached, as, I mean, as far as we both recall. And that's also re- and that's also recall that Nagelsmann's first season was also a disaster. Anyway, this is not necessarily a Tuchel versus Nagelsmann debate, but it is kind of. You said you're going <laughs> to give is. it to me. You're going <laughs> to give it to me on the topic of youth. So what about second, youth, yes, second topic? Take it. The second topic, I'm going to say that Tuchel handles the media a hundred thousand times better than Nagelsmann. I'm going to say this This is very important. He has Lothar Mateus and Didi Haman on strings. This guy is absolutely owning them. And, you know, I like it. I'm going to say I like it. And then there was the very controversial case with Matsraoui, which I think that Tuko, his statements were far more nuanced, far better articulated than anyone at the club put out. And he had to do it in front of a press conference box, no prepared PR statements. So I would say that in talking to the media, he is far superior to Nagelsmann. And on top of that, he never did date a built reporter. So I think that's also a huge plus for him. Can you argue against this? I, I think that Nagelsmann usually when it came to talking to the media, I, I I don't I don't believe he made any controversial statements against his own players and did ha- had no track record of putting anyone under the bus, which Tuchel has. And I think only recently he's been good with his talks to the media. I don't think he has been this good last season. He openly criticized players publicly and that caused a lot of play- okay, why are so many players disliking Tuchel then? Why is there so many problems why are there so many locker room because issues why are they probably because probably because he's his tactics suck but that's a different thing isn't it i'm talking about the media no but he the also media. throws players under the bus just recently he's been better with the media doesn't erase everything hmm. he's done in the past he has criticized players bad. openly he has called people out openly his own players as a coach you don't do that. are you specifically talking about gyozua kimik and his apparent feud not just yours, okay. I mean, nobody's. I mean, you don't call your player. You don't say, "Oh, he's not a six. That was really stupid, in my opinion. And Yozo Kimmich, I'm pretty sure, was irked by that. And you mm. know that Yozo Kimmich is super important for Bayern's plan yeah. in the future. As much as people want to say, "Oh, we'll replace him with another player. Oh, he's not a good DM." I disagree. He is the face of the German national team in the future, and he is the face well. of everything Bayern wants to do in the future. Without him, Bayern's going to struggle. Manchester City is going to pay 100 million. They'll easily get the player, and Bayern will the, be all the worse for it. They'll probably get him for free it's, because he doesn't seem to want to extend his contract. But it is, um, quite, it is quite possible that we lose players as a direct result of Tuchel. Wouldn't it beca- has, be because the board itself? You might is lose not... Goretzka as well. And did Tuchel ever that, publicly say anything about Goretzka? He did not. He did not. But he has spoken publicly against some other players, like Thomas Miller, like. Nusser Masrawi, like Matthijs When did he speak against Lucer Masrawi? I don't recall that. I know uh, the Thomas Muller stuff you're talking about, and I'm going to get to that. Yeah. But what about Nusser Masrawi? I don't remember anything um, about I, I, th- I think he publicly spoke about uh, Masrawi's fitness issues. Well, fitness is something exactly that a coach has to talk about. It's nothing new there. Uh, I th- and I think he alienated one of the defenders as well. That was Delict, uh, but Delict is. Uh, that that's because of his selection, right? It was always no, no selection but even in the media, Delict had to come out and say that he was disgruntled with the situation, right? That wasn't he didn't, a very good. Situation. He didn't specifically say that. No, well, he didn't. Not, he, 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 said, he said he said he said he said he said ask the coach. No, right. he said that 
I think I'm playing really well, and I don't know why the coach is making decisions. Like, yeah, he said, ask the coach why. He, he said something like, ask no the coach why this thing is going on. Right. But that's more like man management in the squad rather than direct media management. In essence, Do I would feel that directly compared to what Nagelsmann would do because Nagelsmann often gave the media reasons to talk about him rather than the team. No, but he never... Is... No, no, but we're talking about media management. So Nagelsmann mm-hmm. is, in his interviews did not really do, in my opinion, anything to give media a lot of bait. He never said anything super controversial. He was very diplomatic. In he sometimes did. He did. He did, if you recall, part like? of a fight with Bartomeu back when Lewandowski was leaving. He uh, did. He with, did. Yeah, he did. He did. He, he, he said. He said certain things, such as the fact that we might be playing better when now that Lewandowski is gone. He said certain things like, uh, "Okay, you're putting me on the spot here. I kind of forgot that I had a list that I was gonna use here, but I have completely forgotten it right now." Lewandowski, this thing, money. Ah, yes. What was the last one? I've forgotten. Damn. Rip. Well, I guess I, I have to concede this point because I've forgotten my points. Um, And by the way, uh, huh? I'm, Go I'm ahead. just picking up some quotes of uh, Thomas Tuchel from earlier in the season, during yes. the start of the season, after the preseason. And he did talk about Leon Goretzka. And he yes. mentioned that Leon had an unsatisfactory end to the last season, right? Again, singling out a player is it was Leon the main reason that our season ended in tatters last season? I would no, think so. Cool. Yeah, man didn't take responsibility, but openly blaming a player, right? No mm-hmm. problems with that whatsoever. Did not mention anything about himself during that preseason run and just before the season began, but talks about the players, criticizes them in front of the media. I'm just trying to pick out the other quotes as well. They're just like my laptop's letting me down today, but uh, there are two other players he also spoke about. And uh, I believe that Stanisic, again, leaving was a direct result of Tuchel's actions and him not wanting the player. Let me just see. Oh, I mean, in the meantime, you can make your argument, I guess. But uh-huh. uh, My argument. I mean, if tabloids can say that he has uh, picked three players, right, and to criticize them, a single them out. Uh, oh, yeah, yes. He also spoke about Josef Stanisic making too many technical mistakes. So, you know. Not mm-hmm. really spotless either. And uh, tabloids have picked that up. So he has a propensity. And I'm not talking about just Bayern, right? In the past, in all his clubs, PSG, Dortmund, he has picked single players out, thrown them under the bus. This is not something that only happened at Bayern Munich. He is not spotless when it comes to handling the media. He's just become better at it recently. He's just understood that his usual way of tackling things will get him fired faster. So overall, I wouldn't say Nagelsmann has said anything incendiary. I don't think he's done anything wrong other than maybe dating the reporter from Build. And I believe that, honestly, everyone has the freedom to date anyone they want. It just sucks that it got leaked out. That was the problem. I don't think him dating the reporter on its own was a problem. It's just it should have been kept under wraps, and that did not happen. Anyone should be allowed to date anyone, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm, I don't know why dating a person is a problem if they have a specific designation. Hmm, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm going to go on to my third topic, which is... Yeah, no, so not I'm the not third topic. Not the third topic. The third, the thir- yeah. the third yeah. is going to be... Well, I'm going to let the people decide on this okay. one. And the third sure. is going to be... Tuchel has better results than Nagelsmann in his second season. 
this is classic cherry picking. Yeah, this is this is cherry picking, but you're going to have to argue against it because yeah, we are. I'm, gonna say, I'm just going to say we are. It's funny currently. because there's a theme here. You pick the topic all the time, and I'm yeah, the one I who do. has to say something you against to, it. You have to. Yeah. So come on, I you have a theme to here. figure yeah. it. You have I mean, to figure it out. How am I supposed to argue fairly if you yeah. always, you know, bring things look, to, look, to look? You have to be. You have to be the anti tuko guy today. Because I keep people keep saying that I am too anti tuko So today I am pro tuko But I'm facing a rigged argument. You're so, already setting up. It's setting reality. Up it is reality. You have to argue against reality. Which but anyways, I have no trouble saying that I disagree completely. Because go ahead and argue there is a simple against fact, it. Because Tuchel is already out of contention for one trophy. He's already out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's playing for two trophies. That in itself, in my opinion, makes his second season less interesting than Nagelsmann's second. Interesting. interesting. Already out of a trouble. But what about Nagelsmann, the fact that this is one of the best starts that Bayern Munich have had in the league since the Guardiola era? Okay, okay, let me check. Is Bayern first in the Bundesliga? No, no it isn't. but that's because that's is because Bayern, are even better. That's because, that's because Nagelsmann was sacked when he was in the Bundesliga. I mean, Bundesliga, right? yeah. Yeah, we, objectively he was sacked because he was second in the Bundesliga. He did not lose yeah. it yet. A lot of games... Tuchel was close to losing it. That was a fact. If Dortmund didn't bottle it, Tuchel would be out of the club right now for not winning any trophy last season. He almost bottled it, not Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann was in contention for every single trophy till the time he was sacked. Tuchel, as I mean, sure, he's amazing, but he's still, it's a fact that he's second in the league right now with Bayern. He is out of a trophy, the DFB Pokal. There is no treble this season. And the Champions League, Basically, winning it is the only way he keeps his job. So I would say he, at the moment, despite the good results in the Bundesliga, I wouldn't say that he has he has been having a better season than Nagelsmann simply because he 100% will not win as many trophies as Nagelsmann was slated to win till he was fired. And you mentioned second season specifically. So I'm going to say that mm. Nagelsmann had a very good chance of... I mean, you cannot argue against him winning the trophies because at the time... Of his firing, he was in contention. And that basically mm-hmm. means he had a chance of winning every trophy, which you cannot say for Tuchel. He is out of a trophy run, which is a fact. So second season alone, I think Nagelsmann was on a better run than Tuchel. And what about players? Tuchel, he is... So, so you he this seems to, to have... I'll give it to you, sure. Okay. And what about yeah. players? Tuchel is... Let's see. There are certain players that are performing much better under Tuchel. First of them is Leroy Sané. Why is it that Nagelsmann could not unlock Sané, whereas Tuchel has managed to? We have reports that Tuchel is very understanding of Sané's situation and he's very good with him. So is this something that you would say that Tuchel has managed better? I would say that uh, it is... It is. I mean, the explanation is the same as the midfield being dog water under Tuchel and being really good at Nagelsmann. Mm-hmm. It's just Sané is having a resurgence under Tuchel. I think it might be because... Sane has just been... I've spoken this uh, to you earlier in, I think, the previous flagship. It's just Sane has a more free role, I believe. He's been allowed to do whatever he wants, and that freedom is... It's not is necessarily limited. that free anymore. It's much more defined these days compared is, to what it, it was. It's, it's, it's defined in the sense that Sane knows what to do and how to link up, but it is free in the sense that Sane is allowed to still interpret each specific position as he deems fit. He is allowed to make... And we know that he misses in games... He makes the uh, occasional errant pass. He doesn't quite nail the target sometimes, but 
that freedom allows him to make mistakes but also deliver at the highest of stages. He constantly is able to find Harry Kane. He's able to drift between mid, uh, midfield lines of the opposition. And he's also allow, allowed to interpret his role as a winger that stretches the lines. Like he can do whatever he wants in those half spaces, which is helping him a lot. And I think Tuchel has given him that extra bit of freedom that has unleashed the best out of him. But at the same time, the midfield has dropped drastically. I, I simply do not agree that this midfield is all world-class. This midfield won the Champions League. This midfield was one of the world's best midfields till Tuchel joined the club. Goretzka and Kimmich are incredible, and they do not need a defensive midfield partner, simply because I think the system is made for them to press and regain the ball. They can still be the shield in front of the defense. We do not need a dedicated destroyer because this midfield is complete in itself. I just think Tuchel is not playing to the strengths of the midfield. So, yes, you can argue that Sané has been excellent, maybe better than he has ever been under Nagelsmann, but I would say that the midfield in comparison has slumped so badly that anything Sané is doing positively has been marred by just how the, how, how terrible the midfield looks. And is this something that same, would you yeah. argue that it is because Sane has been given a more free role, or would you argue that these two factors are completely unrelated? Um, nothing is completely unrelated. Maybe it is related in a way because um, I guess I guess Sane in Nagelsmann's system he operated as more of a midfielder than a pure winger. But the only problem with Nagelsmann was he kept switching the player's position. If he had allowed to play uh, Leroy Zane on that left wing and dominate like he usually did, he would have continued to become a super successful player. He just chose to tinker a lot, and that cost him, I think, in my opinion. But the midfield, I just saw that the entire system mattered a lot more because the pressing was there, the retention of the ball was there, and the intensity was just higher. When the intensity drops and when the midfield becomes more susceptible to counters and to pressure from the opposition, that's when it cracks. We know that Joshua Kimmich is not the purest DM. He is a deep, deep-lying playmaker. He's a, he's a six, but more of a modern register type six, kind of like he, I mean, he's very vulnerable to counters. He can be pressed and he can lose the ball. And he is not 100% calm when there's a man on him. But when the midfield is allowed to regain the ball in time and allowed to recycle it with Goretzka and Kimmich working together with the rest of the team, it has functioned to perfection. And I think Nagelsmann's midfield was excellent. It was one of the main points that actually contributed to his success, the direct playing through the middle. We don't see playing through the middle at all under Tuchel. It's not direct at all. You have this U shape that goes on and on and on. And as much as the success it's given him, it also means that the midfield has dropped in efficiency and production. It just doesn't look good at all to the extent that we want to see more of Pavlovich now. And people are ostracizing Kimmich and Goretzka and saying that the players are the problem and not the coach, which doesn't make sense to me. This is what has happened to the club, right? And even the defense, I would argue that the defense hasn't gotten any better. We are conceding every game. And we saw against Man United how everything can collapse within a few minutes. So susceptible to counters, so susceptible to even the slightest pressure. And the entire system cracks when the opposition presses us because we are so passive. So I'm not sure that it's clear cut um, how Tuchel has improved us in any way tactically. I think under Nagelsmann, we had a clear direction. 
I know results have been going in Tuchel's favor at the moment, but I think that's more to do with his substitutions, his decision-making in terms of getting the best quality on the pitch more than essentially his tactics. Let me let me pose you a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think Harry Kane's... Uh, sorry, do you, do you think Nagelsmann's second season would have been infinitely better if he had had Harry Kane instead of Sadio Mane? No. And explain? Because, because when I the disagree la- completely. Because the season that he had a top-level striker in... When he had a top-level striker in Robert Lewandowski, he was not able to beat Villarreal. So, yeah, wouldn't have made a difference. Villarreal, the same Villarreal that had a low block and yes. defended with 11 players in the box, just yes. like Saarbrücken did. Yeah. Are you going to seriously compare Villarreal and Saarbrücken? Absolutely. Why? Why wouldn't I? It's the same. Saarbrücken is... Saarbrücken? Miles... Look, I mean, the doesn't Saar- that favor my it's... argument? Saarbrücken why, why would is it? levels Saarbrücken. below Villarreal. Saarbrücken is, is the levels mentioned... below Villarreal. Exactly. And it's, much, it's, and it's bad for Tuchel that he lost to them. But the point exactly. is that it's not like Nagelsmann was doing incredibly well when he had an example, for example, uh, top-level striker in Robert Lewandowski. Therefore, yeah, but we're, I do not we're think not talking... that he would have been able to beat Manchester City and then go on to win the Champions League or you know, do better than he was already doing. Because most of that season, Nagelsmann spent tinkering in his second season. He did not stick to a lineup. He did not stick to um, a single setup. And he could not... For all that you can say about him, he could not figure out how his team worked. Even after the PSG game, he went back to tinkering. And that he, that is exactly what he would have done going forward. That is exactly what would have cost him. So I do um, not think... Cost him? I, I'm not sure. Because Definitely. the same tinkering was arguably what won him the games against PSG. He One learned... game against PSG. His first game against PSG, he was lucky that Mbappe was not fit. Otherwise, if Mbappe played from the start, who knows what would have happened to that first leg. It would have made it impossible to come back in the second leg if he had you could Mbappe also, playing. You, you could also, I, I guess, conversely argue that, I mean, in the second leg, Mbappe was playing the entire leg, right? And you can argue that the success that they enjoyed, the, a total domination, a 2 0 victory, thoroughly outclassed in every single, you know, side. Because of the pitch. we were already 1 0 up from the first leg. So that's when what they want to take When you take that the is thing, absurd. Because that's the thing. That's how it works. That's how it works. You put pressure no, on them. Doesn't. And you, in the second PSG, leg... PSG could have won quite easily in the second leg with no, all no, the quality they had. Bayern just... It's a fact that Bayern thoroughly outclassed them with Chupa Moting as striker. And they no. did so brilliantly. The entire team was functioning super, super well. And Nagelsmann But not in the first... From what he saw not in the, the first, first leg, leg, though. The thing he is that changes, he messed though. up... He messed up the first leg extremely badly. And that's the thing. That's the thing he keeps doing. No, no. That's the problem with Nagelsmann. You can give him a second chance and he can take it. But in games like this, there are no second chances. Nagelsmann... That's why he would have been... But the good thing about Nagelsmann was... Tactically... Tactically, he was fluid. What is Tuchel's tactics? Tactically, I could argue that the man has only been relying on individual quality. That is his yeah, tactic. He has. He has. Tuchel has been doing that. And in If you're saying essence, that, how does how is he a better coach in any way if he's just relying on individual quality to bail him out because, each time? Well, simply because he has been he's been tactics, winning right? he's been winning more often so far. And also simply because he has been more consistent in his choices. That's all. He doesn't have wild swings up and down. Mostly I would say that the peaks of Nagelsmann's tenure were much higher than whatever Tuchel has shown us. But for now, Tuchel 
I'm I'm slowly coming around to him. I'm not going to say anything more positive than this because whenever I do that, Tuchel tends to well, betray me and does something stupid. Let me, let me tell you but, something. It's yeah. like I have been arguing against Tuchel only because that's the way you set this up. You have yeah. made this a Tuchel versus Nagelsmann argument. But if you're talking it about purely a Tuchel versus Tuchel, like Tuchel in the past, in, the, in previous season towards the end, compared to Tuchel right now, I actually am warming up to him, and this is crazy because I never thought I would. But I'm just thinking just there is madness. no way he's getting sacked anyways. We are stuck with him. We are just stuck with him. The co- the board is not sacking him. I think Tuchel is always three bad games away from being sacked. No, I think he, he's just not getting sacked. He has luck this season. He's not getting sacked. I don't, I, I'm don't. i 100% sure that even if he loses out in the Champions League, even if he gets knocked in the quarterfinals or the semis, the board will still keep him and see him through uh, for a Bundesliga victory. I think a Bundesliga still keeps him his job. It's quite sad, and I think it's very unfair because previously, coaches have been judged purely on Champions League success, and I think Tuchel will still stay despite winning a Bundesliga and if he bottles the Champions League. So I'm just thinking he's going to stay anyways. So instead of being bitter about it, instead of just feeling sad that every game we could be out of a competition, we could be out of the Champions League as early as February or March. I'm trying to struggle and look for the positives here. And I think I'm starting to see a few. Like, for instance, you mentioned Pavlovich being integrated into the team. I like that. It is a positive improvement. I like that he's making decisions on the pitch that will change the outlook of the game in the second leg, for example, second half, for example. Like, if the team goes down, or if the team concedes goals, he makes necessary changes. And you can see that that causes a change on the pitch conditions, that causes a change in the dynamic of the game. And I like that. I like that he learns from his mistakes. I also would like to see more from him tactically. I would like to see a system that the players can follow and a system that the midfielders can have direction under. Because right now, there is no direction for the midfield. But on the other hand, I like what he's doing with the attack. I like that Zane, Muziala, and Kane, as much as he hates playing Müller, these three players combined really went under Tuchel, and I should give that to him. I also like Kim Min-Jay's performances under Tuchel. He's been doing really well, in my opinion. I just feel sad that Delict is out for a long time because if he's fit, I would love to see Tuchel play him more often because he's an incredible player. And right now, our defense is one thin, so I'm concerned. But like I said, there are quite a few positives that I see as well. I don't hate Tuchel at all. It was a Nagelsmann versus Tuchel debate, and I was siding with Nagelsmann, so I had to argue for him. But I no way hate Tuchel. I think he is slightly getting better. But I'm just mm-hmm. treading with caution here because, like you said, he's just three games away from getting knocked out of every competition all the time. And the same could happen in the Champions League. But I just don't think the board is sacking him. So we have no choice but to fall behind him. Because what is the point of being a better, bitter Bayern Munich fan that is always worried, always Why? crying about losses, do you, do always you, crying about a do collapse. You, do you hear yourself? Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> fair fair enough, fair enough. But I mean, I'm trying to make you see the point as well. Like maybe well, I am, you, could, you, could, I am always, you could enjoy anti. I am anti Tuko. I am anti Nagelsmann. I am anti every coach. I know you are, but maybe it could do you a bit of good to start enjoying the football aspect a bit more. Because I don't... Why would I enjoy Bayern football? Is... Well, that's that's ridiculous. I only enjoy Bayern Munich. I do not enjoy football. I enjoy the platonic ideal of Bayern Munich. Understand? Yeah, and you just want them to win every Champions League every season. 
as yes. we all do. But I'm just saying that don't let that impact the joy of watching Bayern Munich play. Don't let that impact. Well, I'm you know, still very joyful of... when I watch Bayern Munich play. I'm just saying that it, it, it could be better. And that's that's why I keep complaining all the time. I think we are out of time on this meeting. So we are going to have to move on to our very special third meeting. So you guys are getting an extra long podcast today. So please stay tuned. Lucky we are going to talk you. about Nagelsmann <laughs> and his upcoming German national team games. Okay, Schnitzel. So, speaking of Nagelsmann, we have a certain thing we need to talk about, which is the fact that, well, Nagelsmann has called up his second round of, for a second round of internationals. What do you think of the players he has chosen? So, first off, there's uh, there are a lot of usual suspects that you can see from the previous call-ups as well. Not very surprised with uh, Ter Sagan. I think uh, Manuel Neuer not being called up is extremely surprising because he is back and he's back to his best. But I think maybe he's considering it a bit too soon to call him right after the injury. And I'm happy because there's no reason for Neuer to go now and risk getting injured on international duty. So I'm not going to complain about that. Uh, Blazwich gets his first start at goalkeeper, which is very nice. Also very interesting because now you have a wider crop of potential goalkeepers, potential players, uh, you know, a good mix that you can now distribute the duties to. He's been really good for RB Leipzig, so I think he might do good if he gets a shot at the German national team. With regards to the defenders, all players that we have already seen get starts before. Gerzens, uh, Henriks, Mats Hummels is still there after that Dortmund demolition by Bayern. Surprising, but uh, he is still one of the best defenders in terms of what he brings to the uh, team in terms of experience, so not complaining. Rudiger, Sula, Sula again, but uh, he was spectacular in the Champions League game against Newcastle, so not complaining. Ta and Thiao, good selections, good picks. Uh, mm-hmm. Midfield, midfield looks very good overall. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I have to. I have to agree, and I have to ask you: Do you yeah. think, given what we saw in the last international break, do you think Joshua Kimmich is a guaranteed starter in the midfield right now? No, I don't think so. I think mm. it's quite possible that he gets benched. But I also think that Nagelsmann and Kimmich have a very close connection, far closer than Flick or Tuchel has had with the player. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts both games, given how much he wants to start every game. But again, he could use this opportunity to give someone else the start, like Robert Andres. I would love to see him start at the six because he is a pure DM. And it would be interesting to see him play with someone else in midfield that could progress the ball up. Like, imagine a midfield three of Robert Andres, uh, Leon Goretzka, and Julian Brandt, or Ilke Gundogan. Wouldn't that be pretty interesting? It would, it would. And honestly, I would say that, well, hmm, honestly, I would say that at this point, given the midfield options Germany has, why wouldn't you put Kimmich at right back? Hmm. Think about it. Well, for starters, for starters, Kimmich hates starting at right back. He absolutely loathes the position. So the player himself doesn't like it, which is one. Number two, uh, Hansi Flick did play. Oh, yeah, but never mind. He played him as a fullback in a defensive five, which was disastrous. But Hansi Flick did try to play him as a fullback, and that did not work. Not because, not just because Kimmich, uh, I mean, I think Kimmich was great under Flick as a right wing back in the World Cup. He was the least of their problems. But because the hole that it caused in midfield at that time when he did not have 
the right options to replace him was too big of a problem. But now I don't think Nagelsmann has that problem. So I would love to see Kimmich at right back because he's fantastic there, as we've seen before. And Germany doesn't have that many quality options at the right back position. So I would love to see that happen. But I think it's possible Niklas Zula starts at right back given his performance for Dortmund in the Champions League. And you also mentioned, I, I think it was you, I'm not sure, when you went to the the, the Dortmund uh, websites and fan pages that even Dortmund fans are clamoring for him to start at right back, right? Yes, like more often. they are. Yeah, because he's such a force in right back and he is the drop off in quality is so high when he moves to a center back role that I think playing him assuredly at right back ensures that you have a midfield spot for a midfielder and Jozo Kimmich could be free to take that spot. But like I said, I want to see how Germany looks with a destroyer type DM and two midfielders in front of him, in which case I wouldn't be against Jozo Kimmich and Leon Goretzka or Gundogan starting in front of Robert Andres. And I think that is the best way moving forward. I think we are past the point where Kimmich can move back to right back, in all honesty, because it's not happening at Bayern. We're not going to see him move to right back. Tuchel is not doing it. So it just doesn't make sense to play the player out of his favorite position just for two games, considering international games are going to be very important when the Euros roll up. So I don't think Nagelsmann is going to take that risk. Okay. And tell me, do you think we will see a lot of changes from Nagelsmann in this international break or will we see more of what we saw against the US and Mexico? As much as I would love to see Nagelsmann make more changes because right now is the time to experiment, right? When the Euros kick off, there is no way we can make changes in the starting 11 on a frequent basis. That is when the team has to have a clear starting 11, a champion 11, and some super subs in situations where things get sticky. Right now would be the best time to experiment. But I think Nagelsmann might introduce a couple of changes, maybe a few substitute appearances, like Marvin Duxch could get you know, a substitute appearance. Werder Bremen striker, he's been having a pretty solid season so far. So I think he could... Right now, Germany is just in a situation where they want to try every possible option because all the all the strikers Germany has a dog water. And Thomas Miller is not the solution to a pure striker, as we've seen. So they need to experiment. They need to figure out a solution for this before the Euros roll in. Because we know that a false nine is not the best way moving forward for Germany. Marvin Duxch has five goals and four assists this season for Werder Bremen so far. In around 11 total starts, which is a very good number. So I would say it would be nice to see him get the start ahead of the other options. Not very convinced with Niklas Fulkrug, to be very honest. I don't think he should be Germany's striker in the Euros. I think it's nice to get these other players just to tinker, just to experiment right before the Euros roll in. I have a very strong feeling, and this is not based on anything except the fact that I have been watching Germany for the last decade, that Kai Havertz is going to start as striker against one of the teams, either Turkey or Austria, and it's going to make our eyes bleed. Why does Kai Havertz keep getting call-ups? Can you explain this? I think I think the main reason is simply because, and this happens with every coach, like after Kai Havertz stint at Leverkusen, when he was what Florian Wirtz is right now, like he was supposed to be that player, right? And He was that he just. Guy. Yeah, he was that guy. And I remember 
uh, a lot of the people at BFW and also in our blog saying that they wanted him at Bayern. He not was me. so good. He was slated, not you. Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe. Okay, then it was uh, other people like me who thought that if he had the right system, like Bayern, I think Bayern system fits him per perfectly in that number ten role. He could have been Thomas Müller's successor. But then it turns out Chelsea ruined everything under Lampard. Tried to play him as a winger. Tried to play him as anything but a free, free, free playmaker as a number ten, and absolutely ruined everything. And then Thomas Tuchel comes uh, to Chelsea, and he does the same. He tries to rejuvenate his career, and that one goal in the Champions League final did something to kind of rescue it. But again, he's been having a huge drop off in his production. It's every coach trying to get him back to that potential because he's just so good. We know what he can be. You know, we know what he's capable of. It's just not clicking for him at the moment. And he should not play as a striker. That is one thing that absolutely should not happen because he is a 10. We are trying to fit a circular keg into a, a square. Well, that's the entire problem, right? Bind, sorry, Germany have way too many number 10s and not enough strikers. So he, right now, you can see this is the most strikers I've ever seen Germany call up. Then Marvin Duksch and Niklas Fulkrug are out there. And if you look at the way the squad call-up is um, structured, it's kind of weird because you have goalkeepers, you have defense. Now, a bunch of the attackers are put in the midfield section. And in the attack, you only have Duksch, Fulkrug, Gnabry, and Muller. So is this how Nagelsmann sees it? Is this how he sees the striker options that he has? Gnabry, Fulkrug, Duksch, and Muller? Because I hope not, because that would be like a whole new level of mistake making that we don't want to see. In all honesty, I'm not very impressed by the attacking call ups made by Germany this well this break. I think I think I think I think for uh, Germany the the attacking midfielders that they have uh, they they do benefit from the fact that most of these players like you know Florian Wirtz, Jamal Muziala. Um, Jamal Muziela hasn't been called up this time, right? Yes. He yeah, hasn't. he's injured. But yeah, yeah, because of his injury, uh, which is unfortunate for Bayern as well. Um, but in the event that he is fit, uh, which he will be hopefully soon, and when Germany will be able to call him up, he will be an undisputed starter. Florian Witz, Jamal Muziela, Lior Zane, these are players who can play very fluidly in attack. They're not stuck to an attacking midfield position. They can essentially be wingers. They can be inverted wingers. They can be half space playmakers. They can be all these things. So, but they can't it's also be strikers. Not rigid. It's also yeah, exactly. It's it's not it's not that rigid. In fact, I think, and I'm not sure what your opinion is on this, but I would like to hear it. I think Germany could enjoy a lot of success abandoning playing one pure number nine up front and playing a tandem of no. Muziela and Vierz up front. I'm sorry, but. That just Muziela sounds like chasing. That sounds like chasing the same shadows that Bayern Munich chased last season. Because if you remember, they, but they had a lot of success, and then they dropped off. We had that was some abandoned. success, not all of it. No, you said it was incredible yourself. It was you incredible, but then it stopped Gnabry being incredible. And... Isn't that what happened? And no, but like it stopped being incredible because it wasn't played. It and... the system changed, and then things collapsed, and when then it changed playing... to something even better because having Chupo in. Bayern last season looked better, even with an average striker at the top in Chupo, compared to the strikerless yeah, 4 triple 2 
Yeah, but Bayern is very different from Germany. Germany, but it is different. still the same. It Chupo, is like the Chupo DNA. Would be incredible so for Germany. Bad. Germany yeah, doesn't even would have be incredible. It doesn't have Chupo, Chupo, but the point is that it needs someone as striker, in my opinion. Like, yeah, but that someone cannot be a tree. It doesn't. Right look, now, Germany and Fulkrug are not that terrible. They're not. No, they're not Fulkrug trees. is very bad. He has. He is not. He keeps scoring. He he scores very good goals for Germany often. Yeah, but we have yet to see him perform at a high level against top tier opposition. What high level? Right? When when was the last time Germany ever faced any team that's high level? They get knocked out of every Fulkrug, competition. Fulkrug was there in the World Cup. He was there, but keep... Flick didn't play him except against he, the first start he got was two against games. Costa Rica. No, I think he played two games. One as a substitute. Yeah, uh, imagine playing that... him as a substitute. So dumb. It's so so Don't... dumb. Don't he you play? He played believe for the slightest. Don't you believe in the slightest that you know having two quality options, two world class options up front, playing as a tandem, flanked by no, I do Pierre not. Zane and Thomas Miller, and I, then all combining I, together in a fluid formation could be potentially better than having just one three up front. You could have convinced me of this last year, but not this year. This year, I believe that Germany needs a striker, whoever it is. It could be. Some someone from the second division, if it has to be, but it has to be someone because if there is no striker, these players do not know what to do. They have no point of reference, and Nagelsmann is not going to be able to turn them into being able to play with without a striker when all of them at their club level, except for Havertz, plays with a proper recognized number nine. It's just not going to happen, in my opinion. Like it's just like there is a reason why Bayern Munich went through all of this turmoil with Lewandowski leaving and went back to the inertia of having a normal striker at the top, even though it was Chupomoting. Yeah, with Bayern, there is a reason. I agree 100%. Yeah, so, Bayern doesn't and, function without an out-and-out striker. Yeah, but the thing is that Germany and Bayern have the same DNA. They literally have the same coach, and they have had the same coach for the last two cycles. And most of the players in Germany are Bayern. And it's just... Like, because of that, lots of Bayern's problems are also Germany's problems, and lots of Germany's problems are Bayern's problems. So, the point I'm but trying then, to make then, here is that the solutions should also be similar. So, you know, you know, Flick was at Bayern, and then he yes. just transitioned to Germany, right? He went and to Germany, and then he forgot everything. after his stint at Bayern. But yes. the lineups he employed were radically different. Yes, that's the, the problem. That was the problem with Flick, wasn't it? That but he didn't that's know, the problem that he wasn't with every coach, right? They just, I mean... As a national team manager, it's very different because you have all this quality. Imagine having all of this midfield quality and then you sit all of them down. You just play two of them. That, like, that is that is the compromise they're going to have to make because Germany are way overburdened in midfield. They have too much quality there, not enough quality at strikers. So you just have to make two. It's not like it's not a well. If this were a club team, I would say it's not well constructed at all. So let's sell some of the midfielders and get some strikers in. But Exactly. Like, yeah. That's not how it is. You can't just sell a guy's nationality. I mean, maybe maybe you can, but not, oh, not legally. Wish, not legally. I wish I wish I wish there could have just been like a sale somehow of Lewandowski, like just citizenship or just give that man anything. That I mean Germany changed... did, did did try once upon a time. The, it didn't go so well. The entire course of history, yeah. That should have it did been... not it did not go so well. That's all I'll yeah, say. Yeah. But yeah. I mean so that's given why the I say personnel, that... yeah. Given yeah. the personnel. I think I I would love if Marvin Duksh could play off pay off because he has shown a lot of potential and I think I understand your point in that it doesn't matter how much the midfield and the attack creates if there's no one to put the ball in the goal 
and that that makes sense but i'm just saying that as a coach of a national team who only gets to play this team twice every two or three months you don't have a lot of time and you have to make your decisions real quick you need to analyze the squad quality and make choices and as much as Niklas Fulkrog has been a solid option, he has been scoring goals. We are not sure. I mean, I personally am not entirely sure how well he would form against a team that can block him, that can cover him, that can well, mark him. To be perfectly him honest, I still think and... that given that what you said, that he doesn't have enough time, Nagelsmann cannot fall into the trap that he did at Bayern Munich, where he kept changing things even when he found some kind of a formula that works. We did think that the Germany formula against USA and Mexico, it did more or less work. And it just needs some amount of tweaking, some amount of tuning. So I would rather see those changes rather than... You know, I saw, you know, I saw yeah. a lot of positives against the US and Mexico. Hmm. I saw a lot of positives. We did not, I guess, show the same signs as we have multiple times in the past under Hansi Flick and under Joachim Löw. Where the but, team just, I, I mean, for, firstly, everyone was played out of position for starters under Lerv. And under Flick, he kept, you could argue that Flick also kept tinkering with his lineups. Yeah. And that was the problem. Like, but the thing is that even Flick, even Flick started quite well. The thing is that Flick did yeah. start quite well and then he fell off. And I'm worried about that happening to Nagelsmann. So I don't want him to do that same thing. I, I agree with you that the key here is consistency. And he needs to figure the magic well before the Euros kick in, which means right now is the best time to figure that out because there's no other time to do it, right? And, okay, say he does what you want him to do. He just sticks to one lineup every single game. What if it blows up? What if it turns out to be a really bad lineup just before the Euros? Then you have no way of tinkering then, during the Euros, right? Yeah, because then you, said, you take, you you take, you the take Nagelsmann, you take Nagelsmann and you throw him into the ESR. That's it. Wow. Okay. But uh, Germany, unlike Bayern, cannot just hire any manager from any nationality. They always want to ha hire a German manager. It's, so they can sure get Tuchel. The they can get be. Tuchel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we get Nagelsmann? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is basically, be... this is, Bayern is recruiting coaches for Germany. So we literally paid yeah, to enough. have Germany yeah. get Nagelsmann. So it's nothing new there. So I think. We have talked <laughs> more than long enough wow, with our yeah. very long podcast today. So thank you everyone for listening. This was I Need No Name and Schnitzel. You can find us on every single podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever. You can find us on our blog, Bavarian Football Works. Remember to comment and share your thoughts. We always reply. And also you can find us on Twitter at Bavarian FB Works. You can follow us there. Thank you for listening and good night. Vielen Dank und auf Wiedersehen.